millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't weak to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. G'day, everybody. Welcome back onto the podcast. Love having you here. Thanks so much for giving me your time, giving all of us your time, actually, I should say. We would not be doing this without you, that's for sure. So thank you for devoting, and I should say investing, your time into this podcast. Time is very valuable. I appreciate it, and I highly value it. So thank you. If you're new to the podcast, first time listening, this is It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb. I'm your host, co-founder of Living, and I welcome you with all open arms here i hope that you've come here to learn something new and grow as a human that's what it's all about and i hope i'm able to achieve that for you in today's podcast and i will no doubt i feel like i've got an amazing lineup of guests coming up for the rest of this year actually you guys are going to absolutely love being in la i must say i live right in the heart of west hollywood a big part of this town is definitely around film tv you know a lot of aussies how do they move here what visas do they have to get on? What's the you know transition like? What's the process like? The ups, you know, the downs. There's a lot of downs, that's for sure. But as I kind of transition more into the entertainment industry with my acting, I thought it makes sense to bring people on who are actually in the industry, who are pursuing the industry, who are wanting to achieve greatness and great things here and want to grow their craft. And my next guest onto the podcast is one of the greatest humans I think I've ever met. His name's Jake Myoski. I actually met Jakey in probably the first year I moved here. So I ran about 2020, early 2020, maybe just before the pandemic, actually, which was very interesting. But Jakey's been there through thick and thin for me, and I've been there for him. He's an all-round legend, most compassionate, empathetic dudes you'll ever meet. He's from Newcastle originally in Australia, and he's now in LA. He's done some outstanding things in his very young life so far and he's got a lot of great things to come we've worked together on a couple of films he's an up-and-coming director he's done a lot of directing for the music industry which we'll talk about he's had plenty of ups here in la and traveling the world and he's had a lot of downs and that comes with being here in la it's not all you know beautiful that's for sure there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in this town and i'm sure that's not the first time you've heard of it but I want to get Jake onto this podcast, going to talk about everything from his transition, how did he actually get here in the first place, what's his background, what's he actually doing for work, and what projects is he, I guess, pursuing and working towards relentlessly. Work ethic is a non-negotiable for Jake and I. I'm so honored to have him on with the podcast today. 
Before I get him on though, guys, please, if you like the podcast, if you like what content we're putting out, please rate it, review it. It will literally take you 10 seconds to scroll down, rate it and review it on your app. And that way we can help each other climb the podcast charts so that we can help other people around the world. It's a team effort as always. So I appreciate your love and support. I really do. But without further ado, let's bring on the man from Newcastle who now lives in downtown Los Angeles, Jakey Myoski, take the stage, my very good friend. Jakey, my brother, mate. Welcome onto the podcast, big fella. How are you, mate? Hey, mate, I'm great. How are you? Good, man. Looks like you're in the middle of moving. Yeah, just moved into a new place, bro. It's great. Transitioning there and yeah, just unpacking boxes, all that sort of stuff. It's great. Well, it's not where you grew up, man, in Newcastle. No. <laughs> Tell our audience where you're living, bro. Yeah, I'm living in the Arts District in downtown LA. So yeah, it's a pretty creative space. We've only just moved here a week ago. So it's a good change. We're in a different part of LA, like West Hollywood area. So it's a good place to move to. It's creative. And yeah, it's definitely a far cry from Newcastle and the farm. Yeah. Well, mate, it's not a bad place back in New York. I'll tell you that right now. It's good. But mate, so speaking of that, and just to let people know, obviously we'll get into how we met soon, but how did you even get to LA, mate? What was that like? Because I know a lot of people probably listening are like, oh, it sounds so great. You know, going from Australia to LA, it's just bigger and better. And it seems like all where all the things happen. Like, how did you even end up over here, man, from living in Newcastle? Like, what was that trajectory like for you? It was a pretty long process that was gradual, but essentially I was at uni studying communications. I was majoring in media production. I had a bunch of work experience opportunities working for a a touring company. So they were bringing artists to Australia and I was just sort of, you know, tagging along and trying to get my work experience up with them. And I met an artist backstage and gravitated towards him. And that was Chris Brown, the R&B singer. So that was, I think it was end of 2010, I think it was. So yeah, so we met, we gelled really well. I was doing photography at the time and I went back to uni after that small tour. Was that just an Australian tour? It was, yeah. Yeah, It was just around Australia. So did that. It was awesome. We had a lot of fun. We gelled well. It was a creative sort of eye-opening experience. And then I think about a month after that, they wanted me to come on a world tour. So I was like, wow, I was pretty pumped. So I went back to the uni and said, hey, I've got an opportunity to go go on a world tour. Should I stay or go? And they said, well, uni's always going to be here, so you probably <laughs> leave. So, How long was the transition from doing the Aussie show and just meeting Chris Brown backstage to getting the call up to say, we want you on the world tour? How long was that? I think it was about a month or two after oh, wow. that. All right. I guess what I was doing in the interim is I was running his street team and his sort of guerrilla marketing stuff. So I was the president of his worldwide street team. So I think I, there was about 150 teams around the world and I was sort of you know, overseeing all the guerrilla marketing stuff. We like got a bunch of teams to do some, you know, the standard guerrilla marketing stuff for his albums. And we got a team to actually project one of his albums on the side of a bridge in London. So just things like that, just, you know, that sort of stuff. And I guess that, you know, that gave, I guess the label and him and his team a little bit of, they're like, oh shit, you know, sort of he's given it a crack. So I did that. Yeah. And then we did a world tour. We went to Europe. So I think that was like seven or eight months later, did that, did a US tour as well. And so, you know, I guess a bit of a shorter version of that is, is that over the course of, you know, I think about a year or two or three, we just started to 
tour and I was still based in Newcastle and then eventually I moved to Sydney in 2014. So Surrey Hills, was it? What's that? It wasn't in Surrey Hills or Newtown. Newtown, yeah. Newtown, so that a boy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I moved to Newtown in 2014 and I was still touring around the world with him. I think we ended up doing three or four world tours. What's a world tour look like? Like we hear it all the time. Like, are you going to five countries? Are you doing 10 shows? Like what actually, what scale are we talking about when Chris Brown's out there? It's normally, you know, like an area-based thing. So we do like a European tour. Ah, uh, gotcha. And they come in legs. So we do, you know, 30, 40 shows around Europe. And then we'd come home, then we'd go and do Asia. And then we'd do, you know, Australia, then we'd do the US. So it was, you know, it's quite many months on end that you're away from home, which was funny because my roommates would always say, you're the best roommate ever because you're never here. So, <laughs> yeah, so, it would have been good. Yeah. So it was funny that. So I spent a lot of time. It was, yeah. About 2014 to 2017, I was on those world tours. I'd come back to Australia and then eventually got to the point where Chris and his team sort of said, well, we need you. At that point, I was running his social media and all of his sort of creative stuff in partnership with him. So it just got to the point where he said, I need you to come and live in America because it's just, there's too much, you know, back and forth and all that sort of stuff. And we need you here. So I moved over in, I think it was December of 2017 and just before that, in October, I did the album photo shoot for his album. So that was kind of the pinch point transition where I got over to the US and finally established myself there. And I was living with him for about three or four months. And then obviously I moved in with a bunch of other Aussie blokes in another house, which was great. A bunch of other creative guys. So yeah, that's kind of how I got here. It took a long time. But yeah. Okay. So that's how you got here. You've done a few world tours. You've obviously visited a lot of the different countries within those territory, so to speak. Look, I guess working with an artist of that caliber, right? When you look from the outside in, it looks all great and successful and all of that. Is that life that obviously you would have been, were you treated well? Like in terms of like great accommodations, were you looked after when you're on tour? Like how was it? Were you traveling on bus from place to place? Like what's it like? in that setting? Like it sounds like it's very highly stressful at times. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're taken care of in terms of your accommodation and stuff like that. Like you stay in very lovely places. We're on a tour bus in a bunk. I mean, that's not the most amazing thing, but every few days you have a hotel. Cause if you have to back shows, you tend to just go straight to the venues and you shower in the venues, which is, I mean, those days aren't amazing, but it, you know, it's, you know, the thrill of it is awesome. So yeah, the stress levels are huge, bro. Like I've, it's hard to kind of put it into words, but imagine like having a grand final or a Super Bowl every single night. So that's the thing. That's what the artist has to achieve. That's what the dancers, the production crew, me as a photographer, like that's what you have to, every single night you have to perform at your best. And the problem is, is the show doesn't change. It's the same every night. So for me as a creative and shooting that, I have to think of different ways to capture it. So that was super stressful, but I kind of use stress at that point in my life as a weapon. I'd sort of use it as a motivator and I'd really thrive off it. Yeah. So you thrived under pressure kind of thing. Yeah, I did. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think that it was a strength and then eventually it sort of become a bit of a weakness over time. Like, you know, years and years and years operating in kind of fight or flight mode, it, it almost is a, you know, it's a detriment to sort of yourself, whether that's creative or personal whatever, you know, it really it wears you down. So yeah, it's a very, I mean, the entertainment industry in general is very fast and, you know, it moves quick, but the music industry is, you know, touring and stuff like that. It's just constant all the time, very quick. 
every single day momentarily. It's just, yeah, it's always moving fast. Like for me, like a you know, lay person looking at people doing concerts and they look like they're having so much fun, like for the artists. Like, is there a lot of playtime as well for the team after concerts? Like, do you guys go mad? Do you, yeah, are you yeah. living like smashing Don Perignon and going to parties? And is it like that? It is, dude. Yeah. I mean, I've had some of the best times in my life on tour when we'd, you know, we'd go to the after parties and we'd get on the drink and hang out. And yeah, it was, I made some of the best friends I've had, you know, over those years. I don't keep in contact with a lot of them now, unfortunately, because again, it's just moving. Everyone's moving and grooving and doing stuff now that I'm out of the world. But yeah, it was great, man. I had a great relationship with everybody. We had a lot of fun all over the world. I think in total, we toured like 87 countries, which is- yeah, so Mate, we, you've seen most of the world. Yeah, it was great, man. We had an awesome time. It was really fun. Really, really fun times. Yeah, wow. And then obviously coming to the States would have been a big eye-opener for you, leaving Newtown and Newcastle, coming to LA. For all the people that probably listen that probably want to get to the States, like what was that process like? Like, were you on a visa? Did Chris Brown sponsor you? How did yep. that work, man? Yeah, so it was – at first, I was coming over here on sort of – what do you call it? Like, an like a short <laughs> – A short work-based visa. And then eventually I would get, eventually when I had to move here, I had to get an O-1 visa. So an O-1 visa is a, like a sort of extraordinary ability in the arts, motion picture and sciences industry. That's the term for it. Not saying that that's who I am, but anyway, you know what I mean? That's what the the visa is. It's quite difficult to get. You have to get a lot of like evidence and, you know, profile things to prove the press and like deal memos and like locked in work and reference letters from the people who are representing you and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. And the hardest part was I didn't have press because I was a behind the scenes person. It was always tough to figure that out. But obviously I got, you know, letters from people, you know, and the president of Sony music and stuff like that. All that stuff helps the process speed up and yeah, it was quite a long process, but yeah. So Chris's company sponsored my visa, his touring company, and then brought me over here. And yeah, that's where it all, that's where it started. That's where it began. Now I know how hard you work, Jakey, because obviously I met you in my first year, pretty much eh? when I moved to LA through another mutual, obviously another friend of ours. And obviously you and I have hit it off, Jake. You've had some of the best times in my life with you, mate. I've got you to thank to have a community here in LA because as you know, it's very transient, this place, you know, and People are coming and going all the time. But the good thing with you is, mate, you've always been there for me. We've had some of the best times, you know, and we, and we speak to each other on definitely on a deeper level, on a place that's kind of like a lot of smoke and mirrors and very surface level, especially when you're here, you see it, like a lot of the fakeness and all of that. And I think you can get it anywhere. It's really good and refreshing, mate, having you as one of my best mates. So I appreciate that, man. And I know your work ethic is very, very strong. Now, before I talk about your work ethic and all of that, like when we look at like artists, you're an artist, right? Your work ethic is through the roof. I've seen it. I've worked with you. Is that kind of the same work ethic that you witnessed with people like Chris Brand? Like, do they work that hard or are they just fucking gifted, mate? I think it's a combination of both. Like, you know, Chris is one of those people that he works ridiculously hard to the point where it's just back to back to back to back to back days of him creating and stuff. But the X factor is he'd go in a recording booth and he'd record five hit songs in like an hour, you know, like just things like that. And you hear those stories, but I've seen it many times when, you know, and even him directing music videos and things like that. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anyone who was sort of that, you know, widely talented. He had just the X factor. Those artists of those calibers, they just have something that's just different, you know, because we worked for so long, you know, so close together 
we kind of had like it almost to like it was almost telepathic just way of thinking because we were creatively synced so you know that's where we'd really really create sick ideas and big ideas and achieve them together and yeah no but mate he different level just completely different level yeah work ethic and x factor yeah wow okay so yeah and you know you hear it all the time man you and i live by this notion jake you know hard work prevails all the time you know you got to work harder than other people sometimes especially if you're not naturally gifted in a certain area like some people just generally get something better than others but to that and a bit of on the back end of that i feel like if you put in the work and you put in the time you can generally outrun those people you know because work ethic and time in the game definitely helps a lot yeah it does yeah one thing i found too is that i saw a lot of people who would operate you know two or three days of the week at 100% capacity and then they just kind of fall off. And I think it's like you said, it's more so the consistent 80%, 75%, you know, five days a week. That way things get chipped away a lot, you know, better, you know, you operate better. And I think those people, like you said, they will overrun the talented people, you know, eventually because the other people just, you know, they might burn out or whatever it is over those short little stints of bursts because it just seems to be more consistent if you operate you know, a little bit less, you know, at the end of your, end of your uh, rope for that long. Yeah, mate, absolutely. And I agree with that. And let's talk about, I want to segue here. Like we've spoken a little bit about your behind the scenes work, right? From your day starting and photography and all of that stuff. Mate, let's not forget one of your last productions that you did with Chris was on a music video on his song called City Girls, which has had 32 million plus views on YouTube. Now, you got put in as a director, mate. How did that happen? And I know that you've always, since I've met you, you've always wanted to be a film director. Mate, that's such a big achievement. How did you handle that experience, man, that pressure, the set, as one of your first big directing duties, mate? Like, it's not a fucking easy task to get in and just do it. Nah, I mean, look, how it started was I was at home and... I would listen to Chris's music all the time because I had the app on my phone where his it was me, his engineer and him, and I'd have access to the music. Every night he'd record, I could see and listen to what he recorded. And I'd constantly get these songs and we'd make, you know, he'd make short lists and stuff of the songs for the album. And there was one that was standing out. And I basically found a bunch of movie footage and cut together the music video for City Girls just at home. Just off your own back. You weren't even asked to do it, eh? No, I just come up with a concept. I sat there and I was like, I should cut all movie footage together and just show Chris. I didn't even think about the fact that I was going to direct it. I just cut it together and thought it was a cool idea. I went over to his house. I sat down and said, hey, man, I've got something that'd be cool for the album. We should do something like this. So I've sat down and played it. He sat there at the table and watched it and didn't say a word the whole time. And I'm thinking, fuck, did I, you know, is this stupid or whatever? <laughs> you know, typical artist thing. He turned to me, he looked at me and he goes, that's sick. And then I think I went home and then about an hour or two later, Chris rang me and he goes, you're going to direct this video. He goes, I've made a call to the label. Da, 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 da. And I just hung up the phone and I said, holy shit. Like it just, and then after that, the wheels started getting put in motion. I put the actual treatment together, sent it to the record label. What record label? RCA. So RCA is a area of Sony, but that's his label. So yep. They greenlit it. We started pre-production and I think like three or four weeks later, we were on set. Far out. That's quick turnaround, man. Yeah, it was quick. And yeah, it was a seven minute short film that we put together and 
like you said, I got there on the day of the video. We'd shut down an entire street in downtown LA. We had cops. We had picture cars. It was a 1920s set. It was all time period. We had this huge theater. I think we had four or five trailers, a hundred extras or whatever it was. And I just stood there and I shit myself. I was oh like, my God. Cause I was by myself. Cause I got there early, obviously wanting to, you know, map it, out, kind of sort of map it out and absorb it. And yeah, I had like a 30 second moment. I had a bit of a panic attack and I was like, fuck, have I got myself in too deep here? Like I've never directed music video. I've never directed anything. I don't know what I'm doing. Was like an imposter syndrome kind of kicking in. Yeah, totally. Like a, Complete imposter like, syndrome. You're not good. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? How do you land this? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, exactly right. But I think in about, you know, 10 minutes, I was fine. I just locked in and was just like, all right, this is what we got to do. And then, yeah, so we had a lot of speed bumps during the actual shoot. You know, some people didn't get there on time and all that sort of stuff. That wasn't Chris, which was great. Chris was supportive and was, you know, wanting to help, you know, what because he's directed so many of his own music videos. He was there to sort of support and guide me if need be, which was great. So we shot, you know, we got basically everything. I missed out on a few things I needed, but I adapted during the process, which was great. And I was just was, I was kind of blacked out. I was just in go mode. I didn't even like at the end of it, I felt like I just woke up. I was like, holy shit, what just happened? So real quick. Yeah, it was really quick and had a bunch of my good friends there who were, you know, sort of helping out and doing all the stuff. And it was awesome. We had a great time. It turned out awesome. The label called us when we submitted it and said that it was one of the best videos that Chris has had to date, which was huge because I'm sitting there going, crap, you know, I've never directed a video and it's turned out to be this. So it was awesome. Yeah, it was really good. We had a great budget. We had great production design. Everybody was just awesome. So yeah, yeah, it was absolutely. I was waiting for the call, man. I had the phone next to me, hoping you were going to call me up as an actor, mate. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I'll share it with everyone in the show notes too, because it's an incredible short film. It really is. It's you told the story extremely well. Amazing shots, obviously, but a very solid song. And I'm sure most people have probably heard of the song that are listening. So, mate, awesome work with that. And then obviously you transitioned from working with Chris now into a a number of areas. We've worked on a couple of projects together, being a few short films that you've directed and written. And we're also in the process of writing a couple of short films ourselves around mental health and suicide prevention. So stay tuned on that, everyone. But Jakey, you mentioned earlier, you know, the stress was a motivator for you, right? for a big part of your career and it helped you. But then on the back end, you kind of said it comes back or it came back to bite in the ass and it affected you, whether it be professionally, personally, emotionally with your relationships. You know, living out in LA, man, in this industry and entertainment is not easy. It's probably one of the hardest things that we have signed up for in our life. And if we wanted the easiest option, we'd probably get back on an airplane and we'd head home or even not, a change career change a whole career go back to just doing something simple right in this city man in this town like i've been through it this isn't about me it's about you talk to me through like the times here in la where it has become a very lonely place because it mate, there's millions and millions of people that live here in la chasing dreams in entertainment like we've had these conversations before where you, you feel more alone than ever and you're surrounded by so many people yeah. Talk to me through that experience because I know you've had a few experiences here in LA and in your life. So I'd love to hear about that and where that kind of started for you with the panic attacks, the anxiety, and the, yeah, the triggers and shit like that that kind of put you in those positions. Yeah. I think I experienced a lot of that stuff when I was working with Chris too. Like I'd always be on tour and stuff like that. And I would feel alone because I was always on tour. But it was weird because when I would get home, 
I didn't really, like you said, I didn't really have anyone to sort of gravitate towards to. I didn't really feel a sense of community, but then my work was my community and I felt like my whole life was just my work. You know, I didn't really have any good friends. You know, that was, I wouldn't say it was anxiety, but I had a bad relationship experience that ended really badly. And then when eventually when I, you know, Chris and I went separate ways, obviously I wanted to focus on directing and stretching my legs and doing that stuff there. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For films, I for films. For films, yeah. It went to a whole nother realm where I just had sort of, I wouldn't say imposter syndrome, but I just, it was a, sort of an abandonment thing. Like I had no identity. I just lost my identity because I'd been working in the same space for 12 years and it was straight out of uni. So I knew nothing else. So I was the whole time, like I was sitting there with, my partner at the time, who's now my wife, Alyssa, and I was, you know, she was next to me and supporting me and stuff, but I'd never felt more alone in my life because I just didn't, you know, didn't know what was going on. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't have any direction. And, you know, I'd constantly have anxiety and panic attacks and worrying about where I go and what the plan is. And I just didn't have a plan. There was no framework. I think that's the thing that is hard for people out here is that we don't have the entertainment industry, there's no way to go. Like if you were to work in a nine to five job, a lot of places have steps and things you've got to achieve to get to the next level. Whereas here, there's no framework for that. You've just got to work hard at your craft and hope that you cross paths with something, someone where it propels you to the next level. And as you know, like we're not people who are, it's to our detriment and probably to our benefit in areas, but we're not exactly the most social, you know, I wouldn't say people climbing sort of people. So we, and out here you have to be in social circles to achieve things because we could write the best. Exactly. We could write the best script in our bedroom, but if no one knows about it, then you know, what's the point, but 
Yeah, there was moments, man, where like, I mean, we shot our short film, one of our short films of the three last year, and we're in Kentucky and I had a few, you know, there was financial issues there that after taking all these different risks and, you know, like I was genuinely having, I wouldn't say suicidal thoughts where I was wanting to kill myself, but I had the end of the world scenario where I just didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to have to deal with the next day. So those thoughts were creeping into my mind a lot more and a lot more prevalently and consistently. And it was affecting me to the point where it was sort of, it was starting to, you know, control my life and control all the areas of my life. That wasn't conducive to who I wanted to be as a person. It wasn't, you know, my partner was not, she was seeing me change, seeing me sort of lose who I was. And yet eventually I had to make a few changes in what I was doing in my life to sort of rediscover who I was and remember that my life is not tied to another person's life especially career-wise, you know, because that was the biggest thing is I think identity, that's really where I struggled a lot was identity. And eventually, you know, coming out of that and finding myself and who I was, that was through creative, you know, endeavors. That was through, you know, new work experiences. That was through friends who I'd met along the way in the industry and not in the industry, helping me along in the process, you know, like having people support me, having my family support me. Because it is easy. We could definitely just jump on a plane and just go home. But the pain of that would far outweigh the pain of being here and sticking through tough times. But I've got a great support network here and in my wife, in yourself and a couple of other smaller group of friends who actually will be a sounding board, but not just listening. They'll actually, they're hearing you and they live through shared experience, which is tough because a lot of people don't understand what we go through. It's like you said, this is a very, very isolating place. And I think that if you have good people around you, it definitely helps things feel easier. You know, feel like there's more love because, you know, we don't have our family here and that's huge. We all share that same experience of not having our family here. And that's one thing that we can't get back as time with our family. So I think that that's, you know, if we can share some kind of like our own family dynamic, that definitely helps ease the burden of not having that. But yeah, it's in general, mate, it's a very difficult place to be in terms of mental health. It's very, very tough, but it does make and shape people into being resilient characters for sure. Mm, Absolutely, man. And you touched on something important there, like friendships and a small group of people and people that you can count on. Kind of like builds that insulation at times around you when you need it, you know? And we've had plenty of conversations, Jakey, especially when you were going through it at that time. And you've been there when I've been going through it, man. And But mate, I do remember, and I remember it vividly, you know, where you were transitioning out of your work with Chris into this new life, into this unknown abyss. And, you know, you're not alone on that as far as like talking about the identity thing. What do you reckon you learned from that? Like moving forward, right? If you ended up getting a a job with Marvel or whatever and you're directing for the next 10 years, what would you do differently moving into a new role, working with someone in terms of protecting your identity so that you're not wrapped up in one person or one thing or one brand? Yeah, I'd be interested to know that. I think a lot of it has to do with my own self-worth. I think no matter what job, no matter what it is, I have my own value and self-worth and that's important. I think a lot of those experiences I had previously, which were some of the best times in my life, they were also some of the times where I gave up too much of myself. And at the end of the day, I wouldn't say I've got nothing to show for it because I certainly do have a lot to show for it. And I have lived experience and I have lots of achievements and I'm very proud of those. But at the end of the day, no job or no 
career situation is worth basically your sanity or your mental health or any of those things. Because at the end of the day, like, again, I'm here, I'm now living with what I've, you know, experienced in those previous roles and they were great, but I still, I'm on my own. You know what I mean? Like here I am, I have to fight these battles and I have to push myself to the next level. And I think that's important is the value of yourself speaking up, always making sure that you're heard and that, you know, imposter syndrome, whilst a lot of it, you know, a lot of people experience that it's not real because a lot of people, I mean, you used to look at some of the biggest directors in the world. They didn't even go to film school. Some of them, you know, like Quentin Tarantino, he worked at a video store and he loved movies. I mean, I'm kind of the same thing. I didn't go to film school per se, but you know, there isn't a path where it's forged again. And you know, this is what you do to get to the next level. But I just think you need to, if you're in a tough spot, you just got to remember that you know, your self-worth and self-value and how you even speak to yourself is so important. Like waking up and just giving yourself, you know, an internal compliment or even just having some kind of internal positive thought towards your outlook and situation and being grateful and looking at, I know it's easy to say, looking at the brighter side of life, but looking at the positive things that you've done and you've achieved in your past and I guess in your present as well, it definitely helps shape and you know, it gives you the best sort of building blocks for a good sort of mental state. Because yeah, like I said before, in the world I was in before, it was just constantly moving all the time. And I never had a chance to sit down and reflect on what I was experiencing. And a lot of it, to be honest with you, I think I've, you know, I've spoken to a few mental health professionals and they've diagnosed me with PTSD because of a lot of the situations that I allowed myself to be in that I probably shouldn't. And I just swept them under the rug. It is what it is. That was the mentality at the time. And it's not conducive to a good mental health state. So I've had to do a lot of work to work through those things. Understand that a lot of that, you know, it's not great to sort of just throw yourself to the side and not focus on your own, again, self-worth and self-value. So that's the most important yeah. thing. So basically what you're saying is, and for anyone who might be in this situation, it's great to reflect, take the time out to reflect on the great things that you've done, but that's not who you are kind of thing. Who you are is really the things that you say to yourself, the things that you put out in the world in terms of value, compassion, empathy, how you treat yourself in terms of self-care. These are all things where you should be kind of wrapping your identity up in actually who you are so that when things are taken away or if they are ever taken away or you transition or change from such a high or even a low, you're not that actual person. That was just a part of your life kind of thing. That was just a journey. That isn't who you are kind of thing. And I learned that pretty early on myself, man. And I was very fortunate about that. You know, like early on in my life, I actually used to implement when I struggled. And I don't think I would have done it if I hadn't been through the ringer with my anxieties and stuff like that from a young age and experiencing things in my family and stuff like that around suicide and whatnot. But I feel like it helped me and it allowed me to kind of take a step back from all the things I was doing and be grateful for the little stuff. And like grateful for the things that I bring to the table, friendship, I'm consistent, I'm on time, I'm clean, things like that. Like they're things you can keep yourself accountable for. They're the things that you can control. So they're the things that you should be pulling your value and your self-worth and that from, you know, as opposed to like things like I drive a nice car or I have a beautiful big house or I work for this person or I've got a job at the best bank, whatever it is, you know what I mean? I think that's really important. And I think 
Jakey, what you mentioned is great takeaway for people that are listening to this that anyone can incorporate into their own life. And it doesn't matter what career they're doing. And mate, I reflect, especially, you know, when you were going through it, I remember you, mate, you were writing scripts every day. You were writing something every day on the phone to me, messaging, let's do this, let's do that. How many we used to run together. I think fitness was a thing that you turned to, a head clearer, so to speak. But, you know, even on our runs, you talk about ideas with scripts and that. And, mate, I might be wrong, but I feel like that creative outlet for you has been almost like a lifesaver for you. Yeah, 100%. I mean, as soon as my career changed where I stepped away and wanted to focus on my own stuff, all I did was just write. I just was writing scripts like the next, I mean, again, it was sort of like the next day didn't exist. I just was constantly trying to output scripts. And I think I wrote, with myself and my co-writer Josh, we wrote three, four movies in like six months. We we're just constantly writing. And then we did four or five short films, as you know. So we were just constantly going and I was constantly wanting to just step in that world. Cause I've always loved movies. That's always what I've I guess I've wanted to do and I never knew it. And I guess all the previous experiences in my career had built me up to that point where I could and I never knew how to write. Like when I started writing scripts straight after I transitioned out of my old role, I just I had no clue. I had to read, figure it out, you know, and just and just start from scratch. So I was never trained in writing either. So it was just something new. I just wanted to dive into and try because at the one, like you said before, with controlling things, like things I could control was someone might not want to give me a half a million dollar budget for a video, but I can write a movie in my bedroom or in my office because I have control over that situation and I could output creatively that way. And then same with us, like we have creative ideas. We may not have a lot of big budget or anything like that to shoot it, but we still just go and shoot it and put all of our resources we have together to output creatively. So I think in a way, the creative sort of realm and writing and directing and doing all that kind of stuff on my own and with my friends and closest creative partners has enabled me to sort of show that my self-worth is there because it's not connected to anything but just my own internal creative stuff that I've come up with. A lot of it is connected to previous things I've done too. Like a lot of the underpinnings of these short story and films and feature films have mental health struggles like threaded throughout it. It also has the sunshine or the light at the end of the mental health struggles. It's sort of that overarching, you know, hero's journey. We eventually get to the end. And that's where, you know, I think the sh- some of the strongest storytelling is that stuff. So I think that that's, yeah, there was solace in being creative in those tough times for yeah, sure. Mate. And I can resonate with you, man, in that regards, you know, I feel like acting and even going to class and just putting work up on the ground and working with other people and listening and watching and learning, I feel like is just in its own right. It's just, it's something's very therapeutic about it, you know? And, you know, like we always, we say and we live by, man, work, ethic, time in the game, you know, continual learning, testing each other, challenging each other. Like that's how you really get better at stuff and you find a love for it. Like we love what we do. And speaking of that, like obviously you've directed and written those three shorts that we've filmed. We've released one of them, another two are yet to come. And they're incredible. Like you look at them and the feedback, like I know I've gotten from my networks is like far out, man. What was the budget like on that film? And that, you know, they look amazing. Like the work on that's incredible. Like the story's very solid. Like, and this is like, we're only kind of just starting to create our own stuff. 
So I can only imagine what's to come. Yeah, man, I agree. I think the stuff that we've been able to put together with nothing, so to speak, is just it's a great indicator of what's to come. And what you can do, right? Like and when you throw you some in a team and a budget yeah. and all that, like it's just like night and day. Yeah, night and day. You can do something with a million, you can do something with a thousand. If the message and the story and, and the direction is clear and it's there, then the end result is always going to be great. I actually, so, yeah, mate, definitely. I was actually listening to a podcast this morning when I was on the treadmill at the gym running, trying to just run as fast as I could for a little bit. I was listening to the Russo Brothers podcast with Anthony and Joe Russo. I'm pretty sure it's a name. And they mentioned their first film. They were in the indies, doing indies. So for people who don't know, it's like independent films. They borrowed $10,000 on their credit card to pay for their first full-length feature that they did. Took them 10 years, I reckon, to pay it back. Yeah, legit. And now look at where they are, man. They directed or whatever... For example, Avengers Endgame, which is second highest grossing film of all time. You know yeah. what I mean? So sky's the limit. That's the beauty of being out in LA. And what do you feel, mate? Like you look back at Oz, whether it's Sydney. In, I love Sydney, man. I could live back there easily. But you look back at Sydney and then you look back at here. Like, What do you feel like? And for the people that want to come out here and pursue dreams, whether it's in entertainment or whatever it is, just come out here. What do you think the major differences are? Like, what do you think it is? I mean, the toughest part is that the pool is a lot bigger. There's a lot of talented people in LA. We know this. Like Everybody gravitates to move here because they have an X factor in their small town. So you know, there's a lot more competition. There's 150 Leonardo DiCaprio's reading yeah. for parts every day. You know, it's, just, it's a lot. You know how it is, bro. It's yeah, just man, it's so, hard. so you've got to be on your A game all the time. Like I said, it's always like that grand final Super Bowl. Every time you do something, it's not just phoning it in for the day you've always got to be on top of your game and i think that that's the thing is if you want it bad enough it'll happen you've just got to like we talked about in the beginning of the episode we just talk about the consistency and being that 75 percent or 80 percent and just doing that every day having a plan of what you want to do and again it may not have a clear structure but you just have to have you know your goals like outlaid and and light out in front of you and just everyday chip and just chip away at it. So Yeah. What about the culture and stuff? What do you reckon is pretty different culture wise? Yeah, it's a lot different. Yeah. I mean it's funny, we always joke about it. The Aussies in LA, we always joke about wanting to have a VB and having the you like, you know, every one of us get the old care package sent over from the family with the twisties and the snakes. Five and yeah, and the Vegemite, and we love all that sort of stuff. Mate, it's your fun. mum got your mum got me Gravox, mate. How good! She oh no, no, she got chicken me salt. and chicken salt. Chicken salt, I yeah. love that. Yeah. What's some stuff you miss about home, Sammy? I feel like home is just easier. Home is just more simple, and sometimes, man, in the hustle of life and the pursuit of these wide, far-reaching dreams, sometimes, and I'd be lying if I didn't say this. I often have thoughts of retreating back to what I know and what's simple. But that's not the route that would bring me fulfillment and purpose in my life, hence why I'm here still. Yeah, home is home, man. I'll always love home. I'll miss my family. And that's probably the hardest thing, man. And you mentioned it earlier. I think you can't get time back. Like every, if you think about what's sad, and I've only just kind of realized this and not to be negative or anything, but like life's pretty quick. And if you spend, in your case, you've been here, what, six years? I've been here four years. That's four less years and four less 
for example, birthdays or Christmases that you're not going to see of your family, especially our mums and dads who are getting older. Like we don't live to we're 120, right? So if our family's 60, early 60s, late 60s, the average life expectancy is 80, 85. It's only 25 potential more Christmases and birthdays left. And if you're not getting home every year for that, that's cut that in half. That's 12. 12 times? You're only going to have 12 more Christmases, you know what I mean? That's the stuff that hurts mostly, man, for me. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, these goals and dreams is how we live, but it's important to protect yourself at all costs, like you're a boxer, and protect your mental health at all costs, you know, I think is probably the most important thing, and I don't think anything's worth you defeating yourself and depleting your own mindset to a point where you just don't feel like existing. I just don't think what I've been through, especially especially in the last six to 12 months, I mean, yeah, nothing's worth feeling like that, man. I'd rather go be simple and work in a grocery store or push trolleys then feel like I'm trapped and yeah depressed or anxious and I'm constantly having panic attacks I wouldn't wish them on the world so I think it's a nice balance it's about finding what really drives you and I think you've got to love what you do at the end of the day to be here if you don't love what you do and you don't want to create short films and you don't have what it takes to write shorts or act for free it's not the right industry for you unfortunately yeah, agreed. you, you agreed, can't yeah. coming into here just to try and be famous and to try and make money and try and be a who's who because that's not going to cut it for you unfortunately yeah passion mate it's clearly that's what gets people over the line you know combined with talent hard work all that sort of stuff that's what we see people in the history of, of this industry they they're successful because they love what they do you know and that's it and that's they say they, they work hard like you can't leave it all up to chance sometimes you know you got to put it in your own hands you know you got to put the world in your own hands put in the work so if you work like if you got to think about this, I don't think the Australian mentality is an amazing work culture. I feel like we do work hard. Yeah. Don't like the tall poppy syndrome stuff. That's what I don't miss. I love the supportive culture here in LA in terms of creative. I love how people are creating shit all the time here. I don't care what it is, whether it's business ventures, films, movies, songs, writing, dancing, painting, whatever. People are always creating here. It's a vibe and it's very, very you know inspiring and motivating. But it is a hustle too at the end of the day. And there is a lot of smoke and mirrors. So it's about trying to filter that stuff through and just be the best version of yourself and have a small, I feel like what I've learned the most and what I've loved about this place as well is you don't need a big, it's not about having a big network of people that you just say hello to like acquaintances. It's important to have a very small, close-knit group you can call, you can hang out with. They're like family. Like you said, that is probably one of the most important things about this place that you need. Otherwise, yeah, you're probably likely to fall into a dark area and we never want that on anyone, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, mate. I think the town of which we live in, and this applies everywhere around the world, no matter where you are. I mean, at the end of the day, the most important things is your own well-being, whether that being physical health, mental health, the people who are closest to you, your family, yeah, your core friends, all that sort of stuff. You keep all that stuff in check and in balance and everybody focuses on, you know, speaking nicely to themselves, you know, supporting people around them who need support and reciprocate that to you. And if you have all those things balanced, your life feels more full and you can fill up those gaps that have, you know, started to creep in. That's really what I've found out here. It's just all those little things. If you start sort of tightening those things up and like you said, not having a huge acquaintance group and having core friendship groups who you can rely on, you know, having constant contact with your family. Like, cause that's one thing that, you know, a lot of people obviously back in Oz, whether it be 
you know, they don't live near their family or whatever, but, you know, us, we'd kill to go and see our family down the street. You know, you just don't think about these things when you move over here and being grateful to have, you know, your family and all that sort of stuff around you all the time. They're the things that we have to constantly put into practice because it's tough. But yeah, if we just massage those things and really focus on the core important things that we just talked about, then, you know, it's going to make life a whole of a lot easier. Definitely, mate. 100% agreed. It's been an absolute great time having a chat with you here, Jakey. Appreciated your intel, your insight, your wisdom, your experiences. Mate, if people want to track you down, even reach out and ask you questions about your transition over here or even just support the work that you're doing and follow now, how can they find you, big fella? Yeah, mate, I'm on Instagram. Not a lot, but I am on there. So it's at Jake M. Myoski. So J-A-K-E-M-M-I-O-S-G-E. And then if you want to reach out, directly my email is info at jakemyoski.com so yeah i'm on those Attaboy. on those and we'll, yeah and we'll share all of this guys in the show notes jakey and i have some exciting things in the pipeline which we'll share at a later stage but mate big love as always can't wait to catch up with you and celebrate that house warmer mate in a couple of weeks time and yeah without That's further right. ado mate i appreciate you and i'm sure everyone listening appreciates what you shared and yeah big love brother you too, brother. Thanks for having me. You're a legend. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak.